This morning's reading is from Matthew 24, verse 36 through to Matthew 25, 13, to be found on page 1543 of the Black Bibles. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time and he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready in with him to the wedding sorry, the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Thank you, Mark. Good morning once again. If you've made your way in from dropping your kids off, my name is Carl and I'm the pastor here. It's great to be with you here today. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been working our way through Matthew's Gospel. Last week, Michael Cowie took us through chapters 21 and 22, 
And the big question that Michael was asking us to think through was, who is it that belongs to the kingdom of heaven? Who is it that belongs? And remember what his kind of implied answer was for us? He was showing us from chapter 21 and 22 that the kingdom of heaven is open for everyone, yet all who enter need to respond to Jesus in repentance and trust and faith. This week we're skipping ahead a little bit. We're going on to chapters 24 and to 25. I'd love you to follow along in your leaflet today if you'd like to know where we're going. My number's up on the screen here. If you have any questions that come out of our time together today, please SMS in a question and we'll have a chance a bit later on in our time together for me to answer those questions. So please make use of that. Today, if you hear nothing else from me, walk away with nothing else, Here's what I'd like you to remember from our passage today. The king is coming back. The king is coming back. King Jesus will return. And when he comes back, there'll be no mistaking him, no missing him, and no time to change what you're doing. He's coming back. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for his return? It's a question that comes out of our reading today. We've already spent two weeks in Matthew's Gospel now, and I hope you've already picked up this idea that kingship and the kingdom of heaven is an important one for Matthew. The phrase appears all throughout uh, this book. You can see it there in the first verse of chapter 25, the kingdom of heaven. What do you think that phrase means, the kingdom of heaven? I'd like you to just take a a moment right now, get your pen that you've got and your leaflet and just jot down the kingdom of heaven equals, what do you reckon it is? Just take a second or two just to jot that down on your leaflet. The kingdom of heaven is or is about, what do you reckon? I think a good way to answer that question is something like this. The kingdom of heaven is about the rule and the reign of Jesus. The rule and the reign of Jesus. And we see that rule and reign partly in the life of Jesus, but it'll be fully realized when he returns. And I think that's what our passage today is about, what it's pointing to. That time, that still, that time that's still to come when the rule and reign of Jesus will be fully acknowledged by all. I wonder this morning, are you looking forward to that time? The kingdom of heaven coming? Most of us have it pretty good here, don't we, I think? We have good jobs, we have nice homes, we have cars that start pretty much every time we put the key in and turn them. We have kids at the right school. We're even a pretty healthy bunch generally. I mean, I've told you before that I have a gouty toe, but you know, even most of the time that doesn't bother me. And so I think a question that we should be asking ourselves is, is the kingdom of heaven really worth looking forward to? Got it all so good at the moment. Are we looking forward to it? Right at the start of 
Matthew's Gospel. He tells us about a man, we know him as John the Baptist. John comes preaching about Jesus and he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And later in in Matthew's Gospel, it seems that John the Baptist is kind of having his doubts over whether Jesus really was this king of the kingdom. And so he sends some of his people, some of his disciples, to go and ask Jesus whether he really is this king that he was expecting. And Jesus' response is in Matthew chapter 11. You might like to turn there. It's on page 1516 of your Bibles. Matthew chapter 11, verse 4. And John's disciples come and they say to Jesus in verse 4, Are you the one who is to come? In other words, they're asking Jesus, Are you the Messiah, the longed-for king? Or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replies, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So in the, in the life and the work of Jesus, we see the kingdom of heaven breaking in, it being brought near. And so we see small parts of the world being put back right. We see Jesus ruling over sickness and blindness and deafness. If you've ever wondered how good the kingdom of heaven might be, especially in comparison to our lives today, just have a look at these words again. Even here in Adelaide with our wonderful new hospital, we have trouble restoring sight to those who are blind. There's just some things that our hospital can't fix. We have definite trouble raising the dead, don't we? But that's the reality of the kingdom of heaven. It's a kingdom in which wrongs are righted and sickness cured and death defeated. It's a great kingdom to look forward to. And yet it's not fully realized, is it? It's not fully acknowledged. It's not universally acknowledged. There are people who deny the kingdom. That's still to come when every knee will bow. But flick back with me to... Matthew chapter 24, I want you to see that this kingdom is indeed coming. I'm going to go back a few verses from our reading, back to verse 29. It's essentially saying, in the future, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Still to come, isn't it? And when it does, all the peoples on earth will see the Son of Man coming with great glory. That means today that our passage, I think, is essentially kind of looking forward to the good things that are to come. The prophetic words, and that makes them a little bit tricky sometimes to understand. I'm very thankful for the commentaries that I've been able to read this week and some of the other sermons that I've listened to to help me make sense of this passage because we're not kind of used to some of this sort of writing, are we? Looking forward to the future. Like the way that one of the commentators put it that I read uh, this week, his name's Michael Green. He said, the purpose of prophecy... It's not to give us a history written in the future tense, 
but like a film preview or hazard lights on a motorway to lift our hearts and to sound a warning. These chapters are not history in reverse in the sense, uh, while history might tell us the day that the Second World War ended, prophecy is designed to warn and to encourage us. Here, I think, is the encouragement for us today. Jesus is certainly returning. And here's the warning. That could be at any time. Are you prepared? Are you prepared? Well, let's go back to the text that we looked at before. I'd like to take you again a few verses back to verse 26 and 27 of chapter uh, 24. And from these verses, I want you to see that when Jesus returns, we're not going to miss him. We're not going to miss it. Let me read uh, from verse 26 uh, of chapter 24. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out, or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible, even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. You know, even today, it's not uncommon, is it, to hear people claiming to be Jesus. They pop into the occasional news story that might come across our computer screen. I just did a quick Google search earlier in the week, um, and I saw on, uh, on the Google that there is a man currently living in Queensland with his partner. He claims to be Jesus. His partner claims to be Mary Magdalene. And apparently, hundreds of people believe him. He set up a training centre and people have bought properties all around it. I'm sure you've heard of other instances of people claiming to be Jesus. And as you hear these stories, as they come across your computer screen or your newspapers, do you ever wonder, well, are they the real Jesus? Just maybe, is this the real one? Maybe you wonder if Jesus returned like years ago before we were born and we just happened to miss it. Has he come back and we've just missed out? I think this passage makes it pretty clear, doesn't it? Jesus is coming back. He will return and when he does, we will know it. It's not an event we're going to miss. We don't need to go searching through old newspaper articles to see if he's already come back. He says his return will be like lightning. Did you see any of the lightning yesterday afternoon? It's impressive seeing a lightning storm, isn't it? A couple of years ago, my family and I lived in Warrnambool on the Great Ocean Road. We had a house that was kind of halfway up a hill, and it had a big lounge room window that looked over the town. Warrnambool is famous for its storms. It's kind of a stormy city. I can remember sitting in our lounge room at night, watching the lightning streak its way across the sky. It lit up the room and the vista. You know, the thing is that even when the lightning was coming from behind the house, where I couldn't see it directly, it still lit up the room and the town. You don't have to look directly at lightning to see it, really. Jesus says his return will be like that. You don't have to go looking in special places. His return is going to be public and real, and we'll know that it's happening. So today, I hope you can feel confident knowing that Jesus will return and you can be confident that you know that you haven't already missed out on that. We won't miss out on that momentous 
event. The king returning, taking the glory that is rightly his. Then every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Well, if Jesus is certainly returning, and if we know that we, won't, we haven't already missed it, I guess all of us kind of have a bit of a follow-up question to that, don't we? When? When will he return? And that's the question that the disciples asked Jesus in this chapter as well. You'll see that there in verse 3. Let me just read it to you from verse 3 of chapter 24. It says, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus' response is that it will happen soon. He paints a picture of signs that mark his coming. People coming in his name, falsely. Wars and nations rising against each other. Earthquakes and famines. You know, in one sense it looks like we're kind of in the last age already, doesn't it? We're in the last phase of God's kind of drama. It will happen But about the hour or the day, no one knows. Jesus says even he doesn't know, only God the Father. Do you notice that in verse 36? Let me just read it to you again. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. He will return. Jesus doesn't tell us when that will be. It's not something that even he knows. The day and the hour is hidden from the angels, from the heavenly beings, and from Jesus himself. It's only something the Father knows. And because no one knows that he'll return, but because it's certain that he will one day come back, Jesus then goes on to plead with his disciples to be ready, to be prepared for when it finally does happen. Jesus says it'll be a surprise for many when he comes back. Have a look with me at verse 37, chapter 24. Jesus says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Remember the story of Noah back in Genesis? Noah building his ark, preparing for the rain that was about to come. While all around him, Jesus says, people just went about their daily activities of eating and drinking and making plans for the future and carrying out those plans. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying there's anything wrong with making plans or eating and drinking. That's not Jesus' point. What he wants us to see is that the people around Noah, they were oblivious to what was about to come. They kind of ignored the sign of Noah building the ark. They were not ready. They were not prepared. And here's Jesus' warning. Although we don't know when he will return, don't let it be a surprise. Don't be like the people who were caught without an ark. Jesus tells us without doubt that he will return. The exact time even he doesn't know. I think that means two things for us, at least two things for us. Firstly, we need to remember that he is coming back. I hope that's a great source of encouragement for you. It's supposed to be. 
there's much in this world that might be driving you to despair today. It could be a, a personal issue in your life. It could be sickness, mental health issues, relationship breakdowns. Jesus has promised that he will return and that all things will be put right. He's coming back. But because he's coming back, we need to be ready and to keep watch. I think in the remainder of this chapter and in chapter 25, Jesus goes on to talk about what that means for us. Keep watch, Jesus says, so that you won't be surprised. Let me read on from verse 42. He says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Have you ever been robbed? I, I guess some of you probably have been. It's not a very nice thing to have happen, is it? It's quite traumatic. And afterwards, I think you're kind of questioning, should I have done something different? Should I have changed the way I behaved? A few years ago now, Meredith and I lived in an apartment complex in Melbourne. It was a pretty secure building. You needed a key to get into the complex itself. And then our apartment door had another lock on it. In fact, it had two locks, a lock on the normal handle and a deadbolt. Um, being from Adelaide, we never bothered to lock the deadbolt. That kind of seemed um, a little bit like a waste of time for us. Anyway, one afternoon, Meredith walked off to school to pick up Jemima from school. She noticed some tradesmen in the hallway outside our apartment, but she kind of thought nothing of that. They had their work boots on and their belts and tools hanging from them and that sort of stuff. And when she got back from the school pickup, only about 15 minutes later, our apartment door was kind of all messed up. It looked like a screwdriver had been driven into the lock and the door frame was chipped and bits of wood were hanging loose and those sorts of things. They hadn't actually got in, but it was clear that they had attempted to rob us. And of course, if Meredith had have known that was going to happen, she either wouldn't have left the house or she might have called the police and probably she would have locked the deadbolt, Right? Now, from then on, we locked the deadbolt every time we left the house. Are you prepared for Jesus' return? It's being prepared, isn't it, that he asks us to think through when he tells the story of the ten virgins in chapter 25. For to understand this, this parable, I think we need to be familiar with wedding traditions at the time of Jesus. Now, from the reading I've done this week, here's how I kind of think it works. See, part of the wedding takes place at the bride's house, and then the kind of reception thing happens at the groom's house. At least that's what I can determine from the reading I've done. And the bridesmaid's jobs, that's the ten virgins in our story here, their job is to kind of escort the bride and the groom from the bride's house where the ceremony occurred to the groom's house where the feast will be a bit later on. And if it's done at night, they use their lanterns to kind of guide the way. And their bridesmaids, having done their duty of escorting the bride and groom from the bride's house to the groom's house, can then share the celebration supper. Well, in the parable, something delays the journey and the bridesmaids fall asleep. Their lamps burn low 
And then finally, when the procession is ready to go, the foolish bridesmaids now don't have enough oil to participate in the procession. And that means they miss out on the opportunity to enter into the feast at the bridegroom's house. It's a parable, isn't it, designed to encourage us not to grow disheartened by the time taken for Jesus' return. He's certainly coming back. And as we wait for him to return, we're to be prepared and to keep watch. What I find quite interesting in all of these stories that we've looked at so far in in chapter 24 and 25 is this kind of duality in them. You're either a foolish bridesmaid or a wise one. You're either burgled or you're not. There's no middle ground in these stories, is there? You're either prepared or you're not. You might remember over the last couple of weeks, Mike was showing us and talking to us about how the kingdom of God asks us, in a sense, to bear good fruit. This morning I want to uh, suggest in how being prepared might also have something to do with bearing good fruit. Do you remember that idea of how how important bearing fruit was in those last couple of weeks when Mike uh, talked about it? How might we bear good fruit in this sense? We'll turn back and have a look at verse 45 with me. And I want to read this story about a servant who was given responsibilities over the household. So verse 45 of chapter 24 says this, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants of his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The master places the servant in charge of a household while he is away. The servant's job is to care for the household and look after it. The fruit of the servant's work is to look after the house well, or to have a well-looked-after house. When the master returns, if he finds good fruit, in other words, if he finds the household in good order, he will reward the servant. But if he finds the servant mistreating the household and squandering their possessions, he'll punish him severely. As we wait for Jesus to return, are we living in a way that bears fruit in terms of the responsibilities that we've been given? Are we working in our jobs with care and concern and skill? Are we looking after our families? Are we bearing good fruit in that work? We each have different responsibilities in our lives. We might be looking after kids might be managing a client's financial accounts, it might be building a home or giving out medicines or packing school lunches, whatever that might be. Are you bearing good fruit in that work? We also might be tempted to think that Jesus won't return in our lifetime or that it's unlikely he'll come back in the next few years. Perhaps we can think, therefore, that we can put off fulfilling our responsibilities till we're a little bit older. Save those things for another day. 
We don't know when he's going to return, though, do we? There's one other critical sort of fruit that I think this passage calls us to bring forward, and that's acknowledging the kingly rule of Jesus. It means being prepared, being prepared, sorry, means recognizing Jesus for who he is. It means trusting him and living for him. That might mean today that you need to consider Jesus afresh. Can I encourage you, don't put it off to another day. Don't wait for long service leave or when the kids leave home to dig into who Jesus is. He will return and we don't know when. So don't be caught off guard. Please come and see me or Matt afterwards. We'd love to tell you more about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Straight after Easter, we're running a course here looking into the life and work of Jesus. If you'd like to know more about who Jesus is and what he's done and why his death and resurrection is so important for us, we'd love to invite you to come along to that course. Don't put off looking into who Jesus is. Don't put off looking into his kingly rule and reign because we need to be ready for when he returns. And we don't know when that is. Could be soon. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your son, King Jesus, is returning. And we pray that your kingdom will come. Help us to be prepared for that day. Help us to trust in you. To follow you. Help us to bear fruit in our life in the places that you have put us. Please help us to give you the glory and the honour and the praise that you deserve as the King of the Kingdom of Heaven. Amen. I had one question come through today. It was to do with the idea of the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, We saw it last week at the end of the parable of the wedding banquet. If you I want to have a look at that there. You see the the person who came into the wedding but wasn't wearing the right uh, wedding dress. Jesus said, uh, throw him out. uh, And the result was weeping and gnashing of teeth for that person. And we saw it at the end of the parable of the servant in our story today. What does the weeping and gnashing of teeth represent? Good question, isn't it? Did you start, I I mentioned the duality in this the way in which you choose one or the other um, presented uh, as we look through this chapter. Um, The coming of Jesus is a coming of judgment, coming of uh, opportunity to be uh, with him in his kingdom, Uh, but being in him and with him in his kingdom is only possible if we put our hope and trust in him, if we acknowledge him as king. If we don't do that, judgment follows. It's a kind of idea of heaven and hell, two different pathways. And the reality is that those who don't put their hope and trust in Jesus will be in a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a place we don't want to be in. The Bible's message is very clear for us. Those who put their hope and trust in Jesus can be assured that they'll be with him in the kingdom of heaven. And that's why we exist as a church. We want people to know of who Jesus is and what he's done for them. Yeah, and the story of uh, I told before um, we read today, 
Uh, Jesus says there'll be people out in their field, one will go, one won't. There'll be people at the mill, one will go, one won't. How good would it be if in our part of Adelaide it was like three or four out of five people were going with Jesus uh, and not um, half of those people going to ha- into the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth? That's why we exist as a church. We want everyone to know Jesus so that on the last day they'll have great confidence to stand before him knowing that they're going with him. I hope that answers your question. If you've got more questions, please come and see me after. Thank you. Thanks, Matt.